theme and encouraging the church. If you'll turn there, 1 Corinthians 13, or 16, excuse me, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 and 14. Paul said, I want you to know something. When it comes to the Christian life, he says in verse 13, be on guard. Stand true to what you believe. Be courageous. Be strong. And everything you do must be done with love. As a matter of fact, the true meaning of spiritual growth is love. And if we can't live for Jesus without it, and I'm not talking about filial type love or eros, I'm talking about agape. So what does that mean? That means love with no strings attached. That means you got to love me whether you like me or not. And if we can't love like that, Paul says something's wrong. Something's wrong deep within inside of you. Something's not right. He encourages those to pretend that they're a soldier. He encourages them, and he begins to give them instruction like, as a soldier, they were on the front line. Getting instruction from the commanding officer. Be on guard, he says. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Paul isn't telling the Christians how to be a Christian. He's reminded them that it does matter how you live in the Christian life. You know what? There's people that believe, well, since I'm saved, by golly, I can do anything I want to. No, you can't. No, you can't. Not and be in the will of God. Not and do what God wants you to do. You can't live any way you, you want to. You can't do what you want to do. You see, what he's speaking here, he's, he said, yeah, you have been made a saint, but you're also a soldier. You've received salvation, but now I put a sword in your hand. Now, some say, well, that sword is the Bible. Well, I wouldn't disagree with you. But that sword is also a spiritual tool that the enemy is coming against you, and you're going to need it. You can use that tool in a positive way. Or you can use that tool in a very negative way. When you were a kid in vacation, anybody know, everybody know what vacation Bible school is? We just went through, Amanda did a, the best job ever in our vacation Bible school. Well, when I went, and, and that's about all of them coming up I ever went to. I didn't go much to church, and, and, and my, my parents didn't drag me to church like some of you feel like you were drugged. But I was definitely on a, a form of a drug. I was being drugged to church. But all of us learned in vacation Bible school, or some of you did, 
the song, I'm in the Lord's army. How many have heard that one? Such things as march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. And guess what? That's the truth. For the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Every Christian is at war. They're a soldier at war. I'm not talking about a war between that as we hear on Iraq or Afghanistan or North Korea or Russia. I'm not talking about the war between the Democrats and the Republicans. And I'm not even talking about the war between the Braves and the Cardinals. I'm talking about a war that's invisible, that sometimes we don't see the worst going on until it's too late when we begin to see the outflow of that war in our life. You see, the war I'm talking about is a cosmic clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the devil. I'm talking about the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. You see... You're not just in the middle of that war. You are the battleground. You are the target. And you see, when the enemy comes, he's not looking for uh, anything other than you. And so when you get saved, all of a sudden, he didn't worry about you until then. Now, all of a sudden, you become a major focus. You become a major target for him to come against you. The Apostle Paul gives the Corinthian Christians their last marching orders before he signs off. He, gives, he talks about the give, giving the spirit-filled commands to a Christian soldier and to help them to live an effective Christian life in a very difficult world. Do, do you not find it a bit more difficult now to stand up for Jesus than maybe you did five years ago? Today, it's not popular at all to stand up for Jesus. It's popular to stand up for religion. It's it's popular to stand up for things that, that may look like they're of God, but they really aren't. You see, the Bible that we've been given... It, des- it determines the truth of which you and I live. And, and you know, the Scripture tells us in Job, Job 34, verse 21, for God carefully watches the way people live. He sees everything we do. He knows every thought that we think. He knows every attitude that we have. He knows what we talk about and who we talk to. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says, nothing in all creation can hide from him. Everything is naked and exposed before God's very own eyes. This is the God to whom we must explain all we have done in this life. I don't know about you, but there's some things I've done. It ain't going to be easy for me to talk to Jesus about. Now, you can sit there in your little pious spiritual world if you want to, but God knows you better than that. And he knows what you, see, you look at, and he knows what goes through your mind when you were not even brave enough to tell anybody. He knows all that. The other day, I 
picked up my phone. I meant to bring it out here. I don't like to bring it to the pulpit because it'll go off sure as the world. <clears throat> and on my phone, it said, my wife has left the house. How did that phone know that? That bothered me. And then when I got to work, it said, your wife is at work. Well, I knew that, but I don't need my dad burn phone telling me that. So I came a bit to, to work puzzled, and I went into the office, and I said to my secretary, what is my phone doing? It's never done this before. She said, you have a new app on that phone. I said, I didn't put that app on that phone. And it's called Life 360. And I thought for a moment, somebody has tampered with my device. I have been compromised. So when my wife, well, I think I called her, I said, I want to know something. You been fooling my phone? She said, I didn't do it. I said, well, what happened? She said, well, the other night at the ladies' meeting, we were asking about what the husbands were doing. All of a sudden, all the ladies pick up their phone and say, I'll tell you exactly where my husband's at. <laughs> this device tracks every step your vehicle makes. It tells you the speed of which you take to get there. It tells you the to total miles that it takes to get there. It tells you if you're on the telephone while you're driving. It tells you when your battery life is about to collapse. I was looking at it about 5 o'clock, and I saw my wife get in her car. And she started driving home. And when she pulled in the driveway, right before I did, I decided to type her, welcome home. <laughs> you see, I watch her now as she watches me. And I got to thinking about that. She said, does it bother you that I know where you're at? I said, no. But some people, it bothers them. There's some people in here that you have difficulty if your wife were to go home and say, I want that free app for a few days to put on you, honey. And some of you would say, you ain't doing that to me. Well, why not if you don't have anything to hide? And then I got to discovering what the Bible says. We have a heavenly life 360. God is carefully watching every move we make. That ought to spook some of you. Every thought, every scan of our eyes are being watched. Now, you might hide a few things from your wife, and it's not from this pulpit hiding from your wife I'm telling you, it'll only get you in trouble. 
Don't hide nothing from your wife. You'll get you in trouble. And if anybody tells you, ooh, don't you tell your wife that, honey, don't you, or, or to your wife, don't you tell your husband that, you better tell him that if you got any sense at all. Because it will come out. It may take 10 years, but whatever you hide. You know how I know that? Because Satan don't like things that are going on in our life wrong to stay hidden under a rug. He wants to bring it out so it'll embarrass you and make Jesus look bad. Hello? Getting kind of nervous in here, I know, because I'm, I'm preaching this at myself. Paul begins to talk about how it does matter how we live before God. But one, the main reason, because God's looking at us. He's watching us. He's, he's recording it. And what makes me nervous is that I'm going to have to sit down one day with Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ and go through everything I have ever done and ever thought. You say, now, wait a minute. The Bible says that God has forgiven us as far as the east and the west. Yeah, but he also says in the book of Revelation, he's recording every idle word and every idle deed. And that was not going to be held against you, but you're going to have to justify it. I don't like that any more than you do. Because through the past years in my life, there's some stuff I don't even want to talk about. And you don't either. But you and Jesus are going to have some serious time together. It's coming, and it's ahead of us. Well, what is Paul saying? He says, first of all, we need to stay alert. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, be on guard. That's a military word that means to watch, to be vigilant, to be alert, to be on guard. Are you that way? You know, I... <clears throat> There are some people say, well, it doesn't matter that I go out with a colleague if I'm a man and she's a female and have lunch. It don't. Well, I got some in here with bark beg to differ with you. You're not that strong. You're not that smart. You're not that wise. And you're not that strong uh, spiritually in, 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 to where you need to be doing some things like that. Listen, if you just give Satan a crack... I'm talking about a small crack. He will blow your door open. And you let one little thing go wrong at home, and you and your wife get off the page, and, and, and in the spirit and harmony of that marriage, you're still, you still love her, and you still come in, and, but, but things aren't like the way they ought to do, too. And you say, you husband say, well, how do I know if it's not right? Just ask her. You're brave enough. She'll tell you. And if it ain't right, that little hairline crack will become a major opening. For who? The enemy. The enemy. And he will use it. He uses good people. He uses people who love God. He uses, the Bible says, uh, men after on God's own heart to lead astray in adultery. Look at David. David should have been to battle, but yet. He had a weak spot. Satan knew exactly the very time to kick that in for David. In the Old Testament, he talks about the watchman on the wall and that the watchman would, would watch out for coming danger. And their job was so important that they were caught asleep or not watching. They were put to death. 
Ladies and gentlemen, you fall asleep spiritually, and Satan will capitalize on it. You fall asleep and think things that don't matter, that should matter, I promise you before long, you will be crying the blues. Mike, if you ever cried the blues, I sure have. Very uncomfortable, too. Especially when you're a preacher. Well, preachers, they, they don't sin. Are you a dummy? Yes, we do sin, too. Just like you do. We have the same junk that goes through our heads just like it goes through your head. We have the same traps, the same tests that walk in front of us that walk in front of you. And when you get to thinking in your flesh that you got that whipped, be careful. Just be careful. Show you a ton of people in the Bible that weren't careful enough. They weren't alert. You say, well, when do we need to be alert? When you wake up. As you get older, you'll develop bad habits, but you won't know what's going on. One is snoring. I don't want to snore. I don't mean to snore. And I used to say, I don't snore till they videoed me. That's me, ain't it? I don't just snore. I sound like a freight train at times. I come up with such noise that sometimes it wakes me up. And when I'm not waking me up, guess who is? My wife. And I'll wake up in the morning and think, golly, who beat the tar out of me last night? But that's a tough thing. Now, my wife snores. She don't. I'll video her and show her. I'm not trying to snore. But it's that small little steel snore. You know what I'm saying? It's not the big things normally that wake me up. It's those little bitty noises in the house during the night. You know what I'm talking about? You heard something. You go, what was that? And you thought you was dead asleep. My wife said, I snore last night. I said, yep. Well, how come you? I said, I ain't touching you. You know. Stay alert. First Peter 5, 8 says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. To, the word devour means to gobble you down quickly. You say, well, why is God warning if, it, if it's not a possibility for Satan to come in and move in on a believer and gulp them down? It's because it is. And for those who think they're so high-minded and spiritually above that, their fall is much more painful. Now, do I wake up wanting to fall? No. Do I wake up knowing I could fall? Yes. And so what I wake up, and I do every morning, I say, Lord Jesus, help me stay alert today. And do not, do not let this preacher fall. Because I know that I'm living in a body called F-L-E-S-H. And everyone in here does, has it. And if you feed that, more so than you do the inner man within you. You better be careful. Satan is not just trying to irritate you. He's not just trying to intimidate you. He's trying to eliminate you. Now, 
the good news is that if you're a believer, he can't have your divine man. He can't have it. And if you believe anything different, live that way. I don't care. I just believe the Word of God. I believe Jesus in John 10. But that does not remove the responsibility that if I sin, if I sin, the Bible says that I must come before the Father and go to Him and ask Him to, to forgive me. First John 1, 9. Confess it. Put it in the dust. Ephesians 6 says this. We're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers of darkness who rule this world against the wicked spirits in heavenly places. Did you know the most dangerous war is the one you don't realize you're in? The Bible tells us Satan doesn't come in red tights in a pitchfork. He doesn't come in a scary form. He comes in blue jeans and blue eyes. Satan's not scary. Satan's sexy. And you better learn the difference. I'm telling you, y'all ever heard the song, Somebody's Knocking? It was written in 1981 by a blind singer called Terry Gibbs. He said, somebody's knocking. Should have let him in. Lord, it's the devil. Would you look at him? I've heard about him, and I've never dreamed that he had blue eyes and blue jeans. Somebody's knocking. Satan is in your life. If if you're, listen to me, if you're effective for Jesus in any way, Satan's in your life. Where is he? In this church, Satan's here. And he's working. But where is he? You see, sometimes he's hard to find. Now, used to I said he he hung out in the sound system. Because about, and Jeff will attest to this, about you think he got everything right, you'll get a squeal. And you'll go, where did that come from? I said, there he is. He's in the sound system. And sometimes we're just not alert to anything. We're not alert. You know, it was Jesus who taught us that once we become a believer, we leave being a teammate and we become that target. And Jesus said to Peter at the Last Supper, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you like wheat. Satan's at work. Now, I'm not going to give him any more credit than credit's due, but I'll say this. Don't go to sleep. There are times that I've heard voices that I thought were voices of God, but it wasn't. It's what I wanted. And those very things God taught me, hey, it didn't work out. Just make sure. You follow him. Second of all, he said, stand firm. Stand true to what you believe. Now, 
Ephesians 6 says, in the power of his might, use every pierce of God's arm, or piece of God's armor to resist the enemy in a time of evil, so that after the battle, you'll be standing firm. You say, well, what does that mean, to stand firm? It means to be deeply entrenched. It's securely in, in, in a, entrenched. Not half-heartedly, not haphazardly, but securely in him. You see, it's not your faith. Listen to me. You're going to get confused if you don't hear me. It's not your faith that's going to rescue you. Let's face it. Some of your faith's up and down. You're strong at times, and then all of a sudden you're weak. The Bible teaches us that it's not your faith, but it's in the faith of God that helps you and I. Jude Jude chapter 3 says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Jude said, contend for the faith. 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, follow the pattern of the sounds of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted into you. We're to guard the Christian faith, but you cannot guard what you don't know and you cannot contend what you don't have. Satan's first attack will be toward the truthfulness of God's word. In Genesis chapter 3, what did Satan do when he came to Eve? He started in on, surely God did not say that you're not to eat of the trees. But the fact of it is, God did say that, right? I said, God did say that, amen? Amen. But now Satan says, no, he didn't. And you're not surely going to die. You see, that's how Satan begins. He calls truth, or he deals with truth. He handles truth in a very untruthful way. We must not only stand firm, but show maturity. He says to be courageous. He says the literal approach to this translation is simply to act like men. Now, he's not talking about here that women ought to act like men. Please don't. And men don't act like women. It'll drive you crazy. You can't handle it. You weren't wired to act like a woman. You just what? That's why you don't understand women, and that's why women don't understand men. Because we're wired different. You understand that? That's the only thing you're going to understand about the whole situation. But what he's talking about when he said, my daddy used to say, son, sit up and grow up and hush him out. Well, sit up. Shut up. And act like a man. What Paul was saying is, you and I, the goal to your life and mine is maturity. We're, we're, he said, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about this in three one. He says, brothers and sisters, I would not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who still have worldly minds and that are worldly mere infants in the faith. Paul says, you're acting like little kids. I couldn't treat you like mature adults. I couldn't treat you like I'd like to. I have to treat you like kids. James says, there's a time where you ought to be teachers, but I can't teach you because you're living like a child again. The goal is to grow. 
Now, the challenge is, where are you? Where are you in your faith? In the faith, where are you? And let me tell you where you'll find out where you are. When your trials and your test and trouble comes, how do you handle that? Do you tuck tail and run? When the enemy gets after you, do you retreat or do you take a stand? And while you may be weak at times, the Lord says this, stand strong in the power of my might and trust me. First John 2.16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world. You see, in, in, around us and sometimes even in our own lives, we're drenched with worldliness. Worldliness. And, and sometimes our mind, you say, well, how do, we know, how do you know, Mike, when you're being controlled by your sinful desires? You're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. You know, uh, you, you, you prove that you're being controlled by the desires of your flesh and not him. I like this verse. It sometimes steps on our toes. But in James 2, he says this, My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim that you have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and yet you show favoritism to others? Here's what he means. For instance, suppose somebody comes into your sanctuary, your meeting place, dressed Now, the King James Word says gay clothing. It's not talking about as we think about gay. We're not talking about that. But in the New Living Translation, it says fancy clothing. What he's talking about is expensive clothing. There are churches that if I go in there dressed like this and tell them I'm going to preach, they wouldn't let me preach. They would not consider that I'm a called man of God because I'm not in a suit. Now, the fact of it is, some of you struggle with it yourself about me not wearing a suit. I don't struggle with it. I am happy. As a matter of fact, if my wife could and I died, I went last night to preacher Moody's funeral and, and his wife, and that's a, and I, I don't think any death is necessarily something you'd want to say cool, but I've never seen a husband and wife die within 67 hours being married 67 years of one another. And on top of that, that rascal Lanny, not only did he beat you and I up to glory, he beat the whole family to see mom and dad come through the gates. Perfect. Perfect. When I came up, I came up in a church that taught, you women will love this, that if you women wore pants in the sanctuary, you're sinning. Now, I took up that fight because I didn't know any better as a young preacher. I never studied the Bible much. And so I started preaching, all women wearing pants are going to hell. Can't go and I thought, it don't feel right, but he's saying it, so I guess I can say it too. 
until I got to school. Now, some of you said, yeah, at school's liberal. It liberalized you. No, it caught me to study the Bible and quit standing up on my ignorance and be able to study it from the original text. And then I found out in Deuteronomy that it had nothing to do with a pantsuit. It had nothing to do with blue jeans. And so I called my pastor up. I said, what in the world? You've had me preaching stuff that you're preaching, and it's not biblical. There are people who stereotype others. And what he's saying here is, if somebody comes in here and they've got showing signs of money and, 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 uh, and fancy clothing, and we put them in a choice seat. But then he says, if somebody drags in that's not wealthy, and they're not dressed up, and they're showing signs of poverty, we stick them somewhere else. We'll find a spot. Now, you might have to sit on the floor because we want to make sure that we take care of the rich. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not maturity. That is a wrong attitude. Jesus loves everybody. He doesn't love you more than he loves me, or he doesn't love anyone in here any more than he loves anybody else. He loves us all, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're spiritual or unspiritual. He still loves you. He still died for you. He still cares. The problem is we don't know how to show that to people that don't act, look, speak like we we get all nervous. Why? Jesus don't get nervous. He just loves us. He cares about us. That's maturity. And then he talks about, fourthly, summoning strength. Paul says, be strong. Not taking, he's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about spiritual strength. Now, you know, there was a time, a long time ago, <laughs> that I used to pump iron I used to be in all going to the, all this stuff. Of course, I played sports, and I needed it. I was, a, I was a small little fella, but I was a meaner than a snake. And I was watching football practice yesterday, and they got a coach like all them coaches I had screaming, hollering, yelling at me, telling me if I don't kill them and beat them up and rip their heads off. I thought, if I do that, I'll go to jail. But it created a mean spirit in me. So I, I realized I was small. So I was going to have to hurt you. And the way I hurt you, I didn't hit you high. I wasn't about to hit you in the waist. I was going to hit you in the feet. If I could. Now, that, that was a long time ago. Now, you understand that. Don't go judging me now the way you. But I'd break your legs if I, could, if I thought. That's how me I was as a football player. In the 11th grade, they always stuck me as a quarterback because I could remember the plays. That's the only reason I can say that, that they did it. And I went to Towers High School in DeKalb County. And I went down to get behind the center, and all of a sudden, I couldn't see the line. The center's hind end was up higher than my head. (laughs) I said, it's time to quit. And then I went to work. I didn't become a salesman. I'm not slamming salesmen. My daddy was a good one. But I went out to a rough construction crew. And son, I've been around some rough folks. And I even became a little rough myself. 
But you know what? I didn't care how strong I got because I'm so weak now. It, it bothers me. I've got a bed frame right now in my room that I want to put from the box to my frame. I can't even lift the box frame up. You don't think that don't make me mad? It really does. It just infuriates me. I went fishing, and I hooked into a tarpon that weighed over 100 pounds, and I was willing to throw the rod away. It was killing my elbows. I said, this is not for Mike Franklin's arms. He can't handle it. Paul says, I'm not talking about the strength in your arms. I'm not talking about the strength in your body. He said, I'm talking about the strength that doesn't come from within. It comes from above. Ephesians 6 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of whose might? His might. Psalms 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all all things through Christ who what? Strengthens what? Me. None of that's coming from within. It's coming from above. Heaven will strengthen you and me. But we cower down like weaklings and we begin to say, I can't witness. No, you probably can't in your flesh. But you can in Jesus. You can do all things through Christ if you will accept his strength. I can't whip this addiction. Yes, you can in Christ. He either has all the power or he don't. I can't can't quit. Yes, you can quit anything that you have the willingness to let the power of God rest upon your life and trust in that power, not your power. Our power stinks. Our power shorts out. We trip breakers in our power. We blow light bulbs, but not in his power. Fifty-six years, or 54, 54, 56, Preacher Moody and his wife, Started, served tabern- at the Lord of Tabernacles. And I thought, Dad, gum, I, I don't have but almost 40 in. I'm behind. Then I got to thinking about the individuals. Through the years that have come to this church. And I guess they thought they were strong. Some of them end up in jail, all kind of scattered places. My concern for everyone in this room is that you stand alert, firm, that you show maturity because it'll show. You can tell me all you want to about the Bible. You can tell me all you want to about Jesus. But if you believe it, and if it's in you, it's going to show how you treat other people. And the strength, I mean, there's some strong people in here. 
like I used to. No, I'm just kidding. Not as strong. I didn't. I, there's some of you a whole lot stronger than I ever thought of being. But the strength that I desire for my life right now is the strength in the Father. Because I know what, no matter what comes my way, no matter what I may have to face, and who knows what we all have, may have to face, that I'll have the power, not in me, but in Him, to be successful.